In this series, we're investigating 10 additional crimes that we read about in the Bible. We're exploring the who, what, and why of each crime. But more importantly, we want to learn how the Lord God responded to each of these crimes, as well as what we can learn from them. I hope you've been enjoying Bible Threads. If so, I want to invite you to check out our other podcast offerings. We have something for everyone. I promise you, you'll never be in short supply when it comes to strengthening your walk with God. Just go to timeofgrace.org forward slash podcasts or check out the episode notes for all of our podcasts. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. To begin today, I have a question for you. When it comes to the events of the Old Testament, do you ever find it a challenge to remember when these events occurred? If you do, you're not alone. So I'd like to begin today by giving you a simple timeline for the Old Testament, focusing on just three people who lived about 500 years apart. The three are Abraham, Moses, and David. Abraham, whose story is told in the book of Genesis, lived around 2000 B.C. B.C. stands stands for before Christ. But to be a little more precise, Abraham actually died around 2000 B.C. So that's the first year to remember. Then we get to Moses, who lived about 500 years later, around 1500 B.C. Moses' story is told in the book of Exodus. Then we get to David, who lived about 1000 B.C. His story is told in 1st and 2nd Samuel. Now, in between Abraham and Moses are the lives of Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and his brothers, and the descendants of Jacob, who lived in Egypt for roughly 430 years. According to Bible scholars, the Israelites lived in slavery in Egypt for the last 100 or so of those years until the Exodus. In between Moses and David, we have the Exodus out of Egypt, the giving of the law by God at Mount Sinai, and the 40-year journey to the Promised Land. Then, after Joshua led the Israelites into the land of Canaan and conquered it, well, sort of, They failed to do all that the Lord had commanded them to do. Then came the period of the judges, which lasted about 300 years. The last judge was Samuel, who anointed both King Saul and King David, with David coming to the throne around 1000 BC. So, these are the three dates I encourage you to remember. 2000 BC, Abraham. 1500 B.C., Moses, and 1000 B.C., David. I hope that gives you a framework for the first half of the Old Testament. 
Which now brings us to this episode's crimes committed by Rahab and the spies. First, let's see when this event occurred on our newly established Old Testament timeline. This event, recorded in Joshua chapter 2, occurred as Joshua, who succeeded Moses as leader, was leading the Israelites into the land of Canaan, the promised land. And if you want a year associated with this event, it would be about 1400 B.C. The first major city that the Israelites would encounter in the land of Canaan was the fortress city of Jericho. It was located north of the Dead Sea and just west of the Jordan River. Jericho was a major obstacle to the Israelites' plan to conquer the land of Canaan. It was a walled city in an open valley, making it easier for the people of Jericho to defend their city. The city was inhabited by the Amorites, who were a vicious and cruel tribe living in the land of Canaan. At this point, the Israelites were still camped on the east side of the Jordan River at a place known as Shittim. This was Moab territory. Today, it's the country of Jordan. In preparation for crossing the Jordan River and conquering the city of Jericho, Joshua sent out two spies. This is what we read in the first verse of chapter 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Okay, we've got a few things to unpack about Joshua sending spies. The Hebrew word translated as spies can simply mean explorer. But the fact that Joshua secretly sent them changes it from a simple exploration to a covert spy operation. Some Bible scholars question why Joshua sent spies in the first place. Hadn't the Lord God promised the Israelites victory over all of the Canaanite people? He sure did. So did Joshua not trust the words and promises of God? Was this a lack of faith on Joshua's part? Well, before we answer these questions, let's go back 40 years to a time when another group of spies had scoped out the land of Canaan. When Moses led the Israelites from Mount Sinai to the southern border of the land of Canaan, the Lord God directed Moses to send out 12 spies. In the book of Numbers, chapter 13, we read, The Lord said to Moses, Send men to explore Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of their ancestors' tribes. And just who was it that represented the tribe of, let's say, Ephraim? You got it. It was Joshua. Joshua was one of the two original spies who came back with a favorable report. The other optimistic spy was Caleb, who represented the tribe of Judah. These two were the only ones who reported that, with the, with the Lord God's help, we can conquer this land. Sadly, the other ten spies claimed that the Israelites were no match for the Canaanite people, some of whom were giants. As a result of their lack of faith in the promises of God, the Lord sentenced the whole nation to a 40-year wandering in the deserts of Sinai. 
So Joshua knew firsthand about covert spy operations. But we need to acknowledge a difference between Moses sending out 12 spies and Joshua sending out two. Do you know what the difference is? In the case of the 12 spies, the Lord God directed Moses to send them out. In the case of the two spies, there is no indication that the Lord God directed Joshua to send them in the first place. He may have, but the Bible doesn't indicate that. That's why some Bible scholars question Jodav's motives and faith. But I think there's another way of looking at Joshua's decision to send out the two spies. The certainty of God's promises does not negate the importance of wisdom and planning on our part. As a human leader, Joshua would need to take advantage of ordinary means, strategies, and tactics to achieve God's extraordinary promises. You see, the Lord God could have simply wiped out all of the Canaanites in the land in one fell swoop, but he didn't. He chose to use General Joshua and his army to accomplish his plan. So, do you think Joshua demonstrated a lack of faith in sending out the spies, or that he demonstrated wisdom and planning to accomplish God's goals? For me, I believe it was the latter. Please let me know if you disagree. One more thought about spying. Is it wrong for a nation to spy on another nation? Is it a crime? Well, it may be a bit risky to answer the question this way, but I'd say it depends. For the country doing the spying, are they doing it to get an offensive advantage or even to overthrow the other country? Now, that's one thing. On the other hand, are they doing the spying to defend and protect themselves? That's a different matter. Every country has the right to defend itself from a neighboring nation's potential aggression. But we can also say that any country being spied upon will always consider the spying to be a crime. It's called espionage. And most countries have severe penalties for a person caught and convicted of espionage. That penalty is usually death. The discussion about spying is similar to discussions that Christians have about the differences between just and unjust wars. And today, recognizing that we have some major conflicts in our world, this is a topic worthy of your consideration and discussion with your fellow Christians. And keep in mind that what's happening in our world today is different than the situation in Joshua's day. The difference is that the Lord God commanded the Israelites to conquer the land of Canaan. He has given us no such command. Back to the story. Joshua sent out the two spies. Again, this was to be a secret, covert operation. Now, I don't want to be too judgmental of the two spies, but I have a question. If this was to be a covert operation, why would you go to the house of a prostitute? Now, maybe she had her own house, but more likely she lived at an inn or a tavern or maybe even a brothel where there would be potential customers coming and going. 
The problem I see is that the people in a public establishment might recognize the spies as foreigners and blow their cover. But on the other hand, there were likely other foreigners there as well. So it could have been a way for the spies just to blend in. Who knows? In the end, we just focus on God's providence and grace. Rahab, the prostitute, was to play a part in God's plan to save the world. Did you know that not all Bible scholars speak of Rahab as a prostitute? One such individual is the first century historian Josephus. In his book, Antiquities of the Jews, he spoke of Rahab as being an innkeeper and not as a prostitute. He also embellished the story of Rahab and the spies, saying more than what the Bible says. If you'd like to read what Josephus has to say, I put a link in the notes for this episode. It's an interesting read. Despite what Josephus said or didn't say, it is undeniable that Rahab was a prostitute, that is, if you believe the Bible. The Hebrew word translated as prostitute is zona, a word that means prostitute or harlot. In addition, there are two references in the New Testament that refer to Rahab also as a prostitute. We'll consider those two references in just a bit. It's been said that prostitution is the world's oldest profession, but from God's perspective, prostitution cheapens his design for sex and marriage. God's will is that sex is a blessing of marriage, the marriage of one man and one woman. While the spies were at Rahab's residence, the king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. So much for a covert spy operation. The two Israelite spies had their cover blown. Word came to the king of Jericho that these two men were on a mission to spy out the land and that they were staying at Rahab's house. Now, when you hear the phrase, the king of Jericho, don't think of a king of a nation, but rather a ruler of a city-state. The land of Canaan was not a unified nation. It was a collection of independent cities and regions, city-states, ruled by individual, quote, kings. The king of Jericho sent word to Rahab to hand over the Israelite spies that were staying at her house. Some Bible scholars and commentators assume that the king sent soldiers, perhaps, but the Hebrew text doesn't say that. It simply says that the king sent word, sent a message to Rahab. Obviously, there was a messenger, a person, who came to Rahab's house to deliver the king's message, but we don't know for sure who it was. Now, prior to receiving this message from the king, Rahab had taken proactive action. At this point, we don't know Rahab's motives for doing what she did. We learn of her motives later. She took the two spies up to the roof of the house. Literally, she caused the men to ascend to the roof. 
It seems that they needed some persuasion. And there she hid them under stalks of flax. Now, this would not have been anything unusual or weird. The roofs of buildings in Cana were flat, and the roofs were commonly used to dry plants such as flax or corn. In this part of the world, flax would grow to three to four feet in height, so the stalks were substantial, big enough to hide someone under them. When the king's message came to Rahab, she told a big, fat lie. In fact, multiple lies to deceive the representatives of the king. She perjured herself before the king's representatives. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. Lie number one. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. Lie number two. I don't know which way they went. Lie number three. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. Lie number four. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Rahab lied. But what is really interesting is the fact that the king's messengers believed the lie, hook, line, and sinker. Without confirming her story at all, the messengers acted immediately and pursued the spies down the road that led to the Jordan River. It leads me to wonder whether the hand of God was at work influencing the minds of the messengers. In lying to the king's messengers, Rahab had committed a serious crime, one punishable by death. The French have a phrase for this kind of crime, les majestés, which means an offense or defamation against the dignity of a ruling head of state. In some countries of the world, insulting or lying to the head of state is a common occurrence that carries no punishment. In other countries of the world, and there are dozens of them, to insult or speak critically of a head of state will get you thrown in prison or even executed. Rahab lied. No doubt about it. And lying is incompatible with God's will because our God is a God of truth. The Bible repeatedly tells us not to lie. One of the Ten Commandments specifically addresses lying. Do not bear false testimony against your neighbor. But the Bible also tells us to protect human life. And there is one of the Ten Commandments that addresses life and the protection of it. You shall not murder. Rahab was in a tough spot. If she told the truth, the two spies would die. She chose to lie so the two spies could live. Lying, like spying, presents us with some ethical challenges. No doubt about it. There are other examples in the Bible of people who lied and who were not condemned for it. Think of the midwives in Egypt who were told by Pharaoh to kill all of the baby boys born to Hebrew women. These midwives chose to preserve life instead of obeying the Pharaoh. Or think of Jael, who lived during the time of Judge Deborah. 
Jael invited an enemy army commander named Sisera into her home, pretending that she would protect him. Instead, after he went to sleep after a hard battle, she drove a tent peg through his temple. With Sisera dead, Israel won the victory over King Jabin of Hazor. The Bible even calls Jael the most blessed of women. Perhaps the most striking of examples was when the Lord God himself sent a lying spirit into the mouths of Israel's false prophets. So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours, the Bible says. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. So when it comes to Rahab and the other examples of people who lied, the Bible does not condemn, condemn them for telling lies. We shouldn't either. In fact, the New Testament writer James wrote this about Rahab. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? The Bible doesn't condemn Rahab for what she did. Back to the story. That same evening, Rahab went up on the roof and said to the spies, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. What an amazing confession of faith. Rahab knew and believed that the Lord God Yahweh was the true God. Her motive for rescuing the two spies was because they served the God of heaven and earth. Rahab then made a request of the two spies. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. The spies gave Rahab some final instructions. Tie a scarlet cord in this same window and gather your family at your house. When the Israelites later captured Jericho, they spared Rahab and her entire family, who all became a part of the Israelite nation. And now for the rest of the story. Rahab later became the wife of Salmon, a prince of the tribe of Judah. They had a son named Boaz, who married Ruth, the woman from Moab. Ruth became the mother of Obed, the grandmother of Jesse, 
and the great-grandmother of David. This Gentile woman became part of the Bible thread linking Abraham to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, you will find Rahab mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. For her declaration of faith, when she talked to the spies up on her roof, the writer to the Hebrews mentions Rahab in the chapter of the Bible known as the Great Faith chapter. Faith caused the walls of Jericho to fall after the Israelites marched around them for seven days. Faith led the prostitute Rahab to welcome the spies as friends. She was not killed with those who refused to obey God. Rahab is forever recognized as a woman of faith. Crimes were indeed a part of this story of Rahab and the two spies, espionage, prostitution, perjury, and deception. But do you know what overshadowed these crimes? God's providence and grace. God protected Rahab and used Rahab to protect the two spies. Because of her actions, God found a way to protect and rescue Rahab and her family when the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And it was also God's grace that led this Gentile woman to confess her faith in the Lord God, in Yahweh. It was God's grace that led her to be married to a prince of the tribe of Judah and to become an ancestor of the Savior of the world. Amazing grace, don't you think? True Crimes, Bible Edition 2. No crimes are so bad that they can't be forgiven. When Jesus lived his perfect life and died his sacrificial death, he atoned, paid for, the sins of the world. Rahab's sin, and yours and mine too. That's grace. In our next episode, we'll investigate a crime committed by a man named Achan. If you have any comments or questions regarding this episode, I'd love to hear from you. Email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.